This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, good morning and welcome to the special Halloween edition of uh, Tech Talk right here on High FM, where we talk about all the latest gizmos, gadgets, and boy, oh boy, what a f- what an interesting couple of weeks it's been. I've been traveling, going to interesting places, landed up at a huge conference in Las Vegas, route all about data and what do you do with data and how data is changing our world, changing our businesses, changing our lives. But I'll talk a lot about that in my Tech Talk Cafe segment where I'll give you a little report back on the, the dot conf. I mean, it has to be a dot conf. Um, you don't do just conferencing anymore. It's everything dot everything. It's all connected. It's all in the cloud, it's quite quite interesting. But anyway, it was a company called Splunk, and they do some insane stuff with data. And a lot of companies around the world, tons of companies, and quite a number in South Africa actually, are using this platform to do all sorts of things with their data to improve their businesses. So we'll talk all about that in a little while. But before we get on to that, more importantly... <clears throat> all the news, all the latest gizmos and gadgets that have happened in the last few weeks. It's it's the time of the year where everybody's trying to get all their stuff ready for the for the autumn season in the northern hemisphere, um, for the Christmas holidays where people traditionally loosen up the the purses and start spending money on all the latest gizmos and gadgets. South Africa, perhaps uh, after the little budget speech yesterday and all the rest, um, it. Uh, little tighter here than other places in the world, but no question that the, the tech industry is doing pretty well globally. Lots of fancy new gadgets coming out, and these things are, are, are just getting smarter and faster and cooler in some respects. And we're talking about a couple of really cool new smartphones. One, the new Galaxy Fold from Samsung, the first folding phone. A lot of technology in that one and some some really interesting uh <clears throat> stuff going on at a price, of course. And of course, which launched late last month, the brand new iPhones, a lot of interest in that. And surprisingly, well, I'm not that surprised, but, uh, you know, the pundits were going on about the, the maybe iPhone had slowed down. Things are not quite as, as good as it used to be. But the, the word in right now after a month of sales is that the new iPhone 11s are doing extremely well, especially the standard iPhone 11, not the Pro version. But I'll be talking about the, the Pro and the Pro Max, which I've been using for the last couple of weeks and traveled with and some you know interesting conclusions there. But some other interesting news, and I've spoken about it briefly before, but it affects all of us. The good old POT system, plain old telephone system, is on its way out. Telcom have confirmed and reconfirmed that their copper network the the part that's not been stolen yet. Sorry to sound a little cynical, but anyway, the parts that haven't degraded, the parts that uh, are still operating, are being decommissioned very, very shortly over the next, I would say, two to three years. There will be no more copper cables running into your house, and Telcom are moving ahead quite aggressively to cut the copper cables to get rid of that old network for many reasons. One, it's aging, needs a lot of maintenance. It it in any event was extremely cost ineffective in terms of manpower, the little vans you see running around with all their, their, their technicians keeping on repairing and fixing. It's weather dependent. So the, the age of the copper 
network is pretty much over. And I'll, I'll give a little bit of insight into that straight after this. I've been told we have to have a quick break for our sponsors. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Now, back to what's happening with telecom. Essentially, what they're trying to do is move everyone off the copper cable network onto fiber. So if you're in one of the urban areas where fiber is, is, is in place, they're going to be offering you almost direct packages to move onto fiber. So if you weren't, if you hadn't migrated onto fiber yet, for whatever reason, um, this is going to happen to you whether you like it or not. And they're offering almost a one-for-one conversion. Interestingly, don't, and this is my advice, look around a little bit, ask a few friends. You can even message me at FM, and I'll give you some in- information. Because sometimes the switch from a 4-meg a ADSL line to a 4-meg fiber line might not be the best or most cost-effective cost way staying with telecom. might be easy. You've got an account, everything's simple and slick, but it might not be the best solution for you. So check it out. Do a little bit of Googling on your slow ADSL line. Um, and you probably find a slightly better deal with regard to both your phone number and your internet connection with a couple of the other providers out there. Not to say that telecom are bad, they're not, but um, it's always good to, you know, be aware as a consumer. And that's exactly what's going to happen to your phone number. They're going to move your phone on number onto something called SIP, which is voice over IP. So in other words, your phone number will become internet-based, which is quite cool because you can actually access it wherever you have internet access. So you can actually put your mob- your fixed physical phone number onto your smartphone if you so desire. Or you could simply cancel the phone number. A lot of people are doing that. But either way, the, the transition for the personal user will be from a fixed copper cable with a combination of either ADSL and a phone line to a fiber connection with a SIP phone, which is a soft phone. You'd have to change the hardware. But again, the providers are very good at at sorting that out. For businesses, it gets even more interesting. If you've got an old PABX with a whole host of physical lines coming in, the days of those are hugely numbered. I cannot imagine anyone or any business would be buying anything new in that space for the last couple of years. But all the PABX is also going over to a type of SIP virtual PABX sitting in the cloud. Everything works pretty much the same except the phones connect to the internet and to the internal network of the office and that is all going to happen. So watch this space. is going to be a lot of change coming from small business to big business. We're all going fully internet and of course wherever where there is no fiber they're going to be moving you onto their 4g lte network and offering pretty much the same type of services again at very similar costs and who knows in the next year or so 5g might even come out so you get really high speed broadband over the waves so goodbye to copper telecom are finally getting onto it and it's it's the day is done, it's over, and it actually couldn't come too soon. It's it's really a challenge to have all this stuff lying around, and maybe they'll even clean up our neighborhoods and get rid of all those those cables hanging around. Another interesting rumor that I came across, and we're going to be talking about that, maybe not this show, but definitely in the next one, Fitbit have become really the the market leaders in, in, in wearables, in activity tracking, and they've just launched a brand new Fitbit Versa 2, which I'm receiving for review, and we'll talk about that. It's a smartphone, a smartwatch light with excellent um, smart tracking built in. But the rumor out there is that Google will be buying Fitbit because the after 
there was a lot of hype. A couple of years ago, huge hype in the wearables market. It was going to take over. Everyone was going to have a smartwatch, smart something on their wrist. And and the reality set in. Pebble was bought by Fitbit. A couple of companies consolidated. Apple are by far the leaders in the smartwatch space for many, many, many reasons. One of them is that the, the Apple Watch is, is just that good. Samsung, Huawei, a number of other companies have tried to really get a foothold. Google with their, their, their watch OS tried as well, but it hasn't really taken off as they anticipated. But in the fitness tracker and health market, Fitbit have done extremely well with really inexpensive trackers that simply look like a wristband all the way through to smartwatch style trackers like the new Versa. Um, and it should just make sense for a company like Google who are really doing a lot of hardware. We don't see it much in this country, but the Google Home equipment, the stuff where you can use your voice to control so much in your home, so much in your life, um, is really huge. You go, you travel, you go and see in many countries. There's a whole range of lighting, heating, home air conditioning, you name it, is all fridges, washing machines, all connected to either Alexa or Google Home, all operated by your voice. I mean, Alexa and Google have thousands, if not tens of thousands of, of, of functions and functionality. You can pretty much do everything just with using your voice. And they've got pretty smart. They actually recognize your voice. So it's not a matter of just um, speaking and, and doing stuff. It has to, you have to train it. It has to learn who you are. And it's, it's pretty slick. So whole lot of stuff happening in that space. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few moments. But, um, the other brand new gadget that was launched as I think yesterday or the day before is a brand new set of pro, uh, head, well, not headphones, earbuds from Apple. Um, the, the new AirPod Pro. Now, the AirPods, they become ubiquitous. You see people wandering around with these little white things hanging out of their ears everywhere that you go. And in, interesting, I was in the U.S. recently. They are absolutely everybody. Everyone sitting around is wandering around with them. But again, Apple is an extremely dominant brand in the U.S. for, for obvious reasons. But Apple have just released a brand new set of AirPods Pro to complement the um, iPhone Pro range, and they have a couple of really interesting functions. First and foremost, they're no longer simple in-ear, um, in other words, like the current AirPods, which sit in your ear and don't really um, seal. The new, the new AirPod Pros actually insert themselves into your ear like an earbud. They, they've got a much smaller little stick on the outside, so they look a little bit more discreet. And they also, I haven't heard them yet, they should be available quite soon, but they've got um, amazing noise cancelling with some really, really good technology, which I think they've probably used, borrowed from their Beats uh, acquisition, as you may or may not know. Beats Audio is owned and sold by Apple. And apart from the, the just the smart uh, adaptive noise cancelling, they're also promising incredible sound and audio with at least five hours battery life, and they charge wirelessly in their little box to give you uh, up to 20 hours of, of playing time. So expect to see them in the country in the next couple of weeks. We should we should see them here very shortly. They're on sale already um, in the U.S. and many other countries around the world. So as per usual, they should come here really quickly. They're going to be pretty expensive. I recommend uh, they're $249 in the U.S., but they're probably going to sell for somewhere in the region 
of three, three and a half thousand rand when they finally land in South Africa, which is quite expensive. But the initial reviews indicate that they are extremely good and um, maybe just what you're looking for in a pair of noise-canceling earphones. So we'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back and welcome to Tech Talk Cafe. I was going to have a, a wonderful interview about the connected car from Toyota, um, but unfortunately that didn't quite happen. But pr- I'm planning to have that for next week. And that's just such an interesting uh, conversation around smart cars, self-driving cars, cars connected to the Internet, the benefits of that, and all sorts of cutting-edge tech that's coming to the average family sedan and uh, transport in the nearest, nearest future. But we'll talk about that next week. But aligned to that and as part of that whole conversation is something that I was at a conference about last week. The conference was called The Dot Conf. Um, it was from a company called Splunk. Now, this is not a company that a lot of people know about. Um, and not a, it's not a brand that's in the public eye. But it is a Fortune 500 company. It's a company that, even in South Africa, most of the big banks, the big insurers, a lot of really large enterprise companies are using this platform in order to deal with their data and come up with really interesting insights and information around a whole host, a whole range of topics. But the, the conference focused on a very simple thing. Basically, they want to bring data to everything. Now, that sounds like an, a huge, broad statement, but the age of big data and, 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 and what has happened, there's been a confluence of so many things that has happened in the last couple of years. One, the internet and connectivity has become ubiquitous. Wherever you go, wherever you are, pretty much across the entire world, you have a data connection to the internet via your smartphone, via fiber, still via copper for those of you who have it, though that, as I say, globally and in South Africa is ending pretty shortly. And the speed and the capacity of that connectivity has been growing pretty much exponentially from 2G back in the early 2000s to 3G in 2010 to 4G starting around about 2012, 2013 to 5G that we have today. And the next five years will probably move on to 6G and 7G. Who knows? All the Gs. But the simple fact is that the, the sheer speed and capacity and capability of connectivity has grown to a level where it's just taken for granted. You walk into a room, switch on a light. Uh, bad, bad analogy in South Africa. The light doesn't always come on, but, um, as ubiquitous as, as, as electricity is, as ubiquitous as water coming out of your tap, um, the simple fact is connectivity and being connected is as basic as all of those. And the consequence of that is that people are becoming con- disconnected from physical connectivity or physical places or physical platforms at an ever-increasing rate. And every interaction with whatever you do, your fridge, your car, your computer, your smartphone, people that you deal with over the Internet, creates data. That data is created by machines. It's created by systems like your accounting system. It's created by video. It's created by absolutely everything that you do on the Internet. And this data has been growing in leaps and bounds. We're talking about gigabytes. We're now talking about 
terabytes. In fact, it's reached the level of petabytes, which is more noughts than any of us care to deal with. But the simple fact is the amount of data being stored, being created, being collected, being dealt with across the world has risen exponentially and will continue to rise exponentially as we go ahead. And the implications of that are absolutely vast. At the same time as all this connectivity has been growing at such incredible speed and so much stuff has been happening around the sheer ability to connect is the growth of hyperscale computing platforms. Data centers all over the show has been growing pretty much along with the same, same sort of trend. So, Mobile networks used to be completely separate, completely other to computer networks. Today, it's all virtualized. It's all one thing. They use the same server to run a computer, to run a company as they do to run a mobile network. All of this is happening in the cloud. All of this is happening on data centers, sitting in places that have no relation to where the physical activity is happening. More and more companies are moving their, their big metal servers that they had downstairs in the basement or wherever they had their data center into the cloud. And there's huge implications for that. But the simple fact is that the processing power of these massive cloud-based data centers, along with their ability to connect and to speak to devices and people and things and, 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 and gadgets and gizmos all over the world, incredibly quickly incredibly continuously, again, is part of the rise of the whole new world that we live in. Now, 90% or 99% of this is totally transparent. You don't even realize what's going on in the background when you hop in your car, stick on Waze or Maps or Google Maps or whatever it is that you use and navigate to your your next destination, your next appointment, next meeting. It happens globally. If it wasn't for maps and smartphones, wherever I was in the world, I'd be completely lost. But now you cannot get lost. It's almost physically impossible to get lost anywhere in the world if you've got a smartphone and connectivity. And But what is happening in the back end around that is an enormous amount of data crunching, data manipulation, information flowing up and down from sensors in your device, gyroscopes, GPS positioning chips, you name it, all the stuff is happening and talking and generating data. What has been emerging, and this is getting in a very roundabout way to where Splunk um, is and what <clears throat> I learned about during this conference, is that you need the same way as you had Microsoft that became the operating system for much of the computing that we deal with around the world today and Google and uh, iOS on, on smartphones, you need an operating system for data. This sheer quantity and scale of data is becoming a real problem. How do you deal with it? What do you do with it? How does simple data turn into information? And what's interesting at all even in the new age, the scale and the quantity might have become exponentially greater. But back in the good old days, just having data never told you anything. It never helped you do anything. You had to actually turn data into information. You had to do something with the data in order to do something in your life, in your business, in your normal life. You needed that sort of transformation. And it used to be simple. If there were only a couple of data points, a little bit of information, like in your business, if you knew you sold a 1,000 Rand today and you made 200 Rand profit and you keep doing that every day, you're going to make some money in a week. And, and it was a fairly simple equation. You could do it in the back of a cigarette box, as the old saying goes. 
But today, the complexity and the scale of that has changed absolutely everything. And what Splunk have done is they have created an operating system for data. The biggest challenge and what the biggest revolution in, in data that has happened over the last little while is that you can start connecting the dots between data that comes from one place to data that comes from another place. So the question that you would ask, using the analogy in your own business, is I made 200 rand a day. How do I make more? What do I need to do with my customers or what do my customers need that would help me to sell more and make 300 rand a week? Or if I'm not making 200 this week, what changed? What happened? What did I do right? What did I do wrong in order to optimize my business? Now, that used to work on experience and gut feel and knowing your customers and being involved. And, and none of that is irrelevant in, in today's day and age. I think all of that makes perfect sense. The problem is that four big companies, take, a, 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 take Vodacom, for example, they've got 45 million customers. You cannot get to know them. You cannot deal with them on a day-to-day basis. You can simply bill them which is very effective, know what you're billing them for, which is great. But the the science of understanding how to move and maneuver and maximize and do things with within the scale of that amount of data becomes incredibly difficult. And that's exactly what a system like Splunk, and there are others in, are available in the world, do. They take data from the accounting system, the billing system of a company like Vodacom Vodafone globally, they then put that together with other data, data such as what people are saying on Twitter, what people are doing, where the people are moving. So that you can take data, for example, based on the cell phone data, which is not billing data because a cell phone connects and you know where the user is. They can now start linking a high-end user, where he lives, where he stays, where he drives, what he does, how fast he goes in particular things, how many countries he's visited around the world, does he roam, doesn't he roam, not just on a billing level, but on a, a physical level. You can use that data. You can then correlate that data to, to what that person does online. What does he search for? What does he tweet about? Obviously, there's privacy issues around that, but essentially taking huge amounts of diverse data, machine data that comes from the hardware of the phone when it connects, how fast is his connection, how strong is his signal, all this type of stuff, and correlate it to billing information. You can then, using a system like Splunk, say to the customer, hi, um, we've noticed that you use, you're always going out of bundle, and we want to offer you a better package. So you can optimize your business using data, knowing where people are, knowing what they do, knowing their preferences, knowing that they've been moaning that they've got a bad signal in Morningside, all of that sort of stuff, and proactively within real time without waiting for a complaint on Hello Peter, fix problems, offer new solutions, maximize your your customer experience, and all of that is based on data, data that is generated by the various interactions that all these customers have with your platforms. And it goes even beyond that. One of the other core areas around data is security. Security is a huge problem in this world. Where you, when you connect, I mean, the least of your problems is being hacked and having your, your bank account stolen. But essentially, it's one of the major issues around data privacy, data intrusion and hacking. And again, how do you 
we've reached a stage where the simple antivirus is no longer. In other words, putting up a firewall and saying, guys, this stuff can't come in and this bad stuff can't go out, it's no longer good enough. That's not how cyber criminals work anymore. They work in many, many different ways. They use phone calls, they use social media, they use all sorts of other ways to find out what you're doing and who you are and where you are and whether you've got money, whether you don't have money, whether you'd be open to some sort of scam. So as sophisticated as they've got, companies are using platforms like Splunk, which can take data from so many diverse places, can use information with regard to, and it's very topical, and we haven't even spoken about it today, with the, the hack that uh, the city of Joburg, which is still down, by the by, where the hack with the city of Joburg was hit with a denial of service attack and a ransomware attack. ISPs in this country have been hit with that. The trick would be to predict this before it actually happens. So when the intrusion starts or when these problems happen, the data shows that it may happen here, it may happen then, it may happen from where, and you'd be ready to take action before these things actually become critical and shut down an entire city's billing system because that's exactly what has happened. So platforms and systems based on data that is coming from multiple diverse places. So if they were tracking global intrusion problems that were happening outside of Johannesburg and they started noticing that IP addresses in Johannesburg were being attacked or tested out by certain known agents across the world, they could have probably said an attack's coming and hardened the systems or changed the systems or blocked those particular IP addresses or whatever the case may be in order to predict it. And all of that is based on data that is not traditional accounting or structured data, as it's called. And the the key takeaway from a conference such as this is that the magic that they have is taking Huge. We're talking about, as I said, petabytes, terabytes, gigabytes of data coming from all over the show, including live streaming data from video. Combine that with fixed data from accounting systems, machine systems, people tracking systems, uh, asset tracking systems, and come up with solutions, answers, systems, platforms that can improve your business, change things, and make things a lot smarter, a lot faster, a lot better, and a lot more secure across these various types of platforms. And again, a lot of this is happening at an enterprise level. In South Africa, a major medical aid company is using it to understand what their customers are doing through particular systems and platforms that they use. I'm not going to tell you who they are because it might be confidential. But they are using the data that they gather through all sorts of means, not just who pays what and who's on which medical package. There's a car company, a rather famous car company that sells high-end sports cars that is, and have just launched an electric car. Uh, I think there's no, there's no secret in this. It's known as Porsche with their new Taycan. They are setting up charging systems across the world, all linked, all managed via the Splunk data platform. They can tell you which, where every car is, what the charge is, what the output is, how fast it's going, where it's going, 
and link that to their charger network globally. So wherever you are, the car will know where the nearest charger is. They'll know if the car's in any problems, and they can optimize and maximize and modify the, the, the navigation system in the car to make sure that you never run out of electricity, apart from the fact that they have a charging system that can give you 80% charge in 20 minutes. But that's a whole nother technology. But simply put, using a platform that can take all this data globally, link it all together, take the data from the car, the, the speed, the elevation, everything, calculate where you are, calculate when you'll need a charge, adjust your driving directions to make sure that you're within a couple of minutes of a charger and tell you how much charge you need. <laughs> this is so cool. Tell you how much charge you need to get to your next destination. Obviously, you've got to tell the car where you're going, but essentially the sheer quantity of data coming from so many diverse things. They know whether the charge is free, whether the charge is not free. Imagine if you had that all linked up to your car right now and you need petrol. You don't have to wander around and wait in a queue. The car tells you, oh, no, no, uh, just down the road to the left, there's a a fuel station. Pop in there. Um, Station two is empty, ready and waiting for you. Tells the station to get ready. You pull up. The guy says, hi, fills your tank and off you drive. That's exactly the type of of system platform that is being enabled through the use of masses amounts of data based all over the world on a platform such as Splunk. So essentially we are going to see more and more of these type of platforms and systems emerge. Right now Splunk probably is the leading uh, player in the space. They, they, their, their tagline is turn data into doing and essentially they are using a community of incredibly smart techies and, and geeks around the world to come up with solutions to problems that people didn't even know they had. But such smart solutions across all sorts of diverse industries from insurance to retail to motoring to healthcare. Healthcare is an area that is exploding in terms of data. Again, imagine every single MRI machine in the world linked, all those scans being checked via artificial intelligence. So all of this is happening right now in a company that you probably deal with, one of your banks, one of your health providers, one of your car companies, BMW as well, are doing huge amounts of work in the sort of smart data AI field. And expect this to become even more prevalent across absolutely everything that you do. Your your retailer, pick and pay, target in the USA, Amazon have been doing it for years. They're now even doing it at a greater scale. They predict they're moving product around the world, putting it in the cities so that they can deliver it by drone within one hour of you ordering it, almost pretty much instant. And we're talking about perishable foods. So expect the data revolution to continue. Expect it to really make a huge difference in how you interact with pretty much everything that you do. And expect more and more of your gadgets to get connected. They are predicting that by 2025, the average person will interact with a connected device over 5,000 times a day compared to currently 800 or so interactions that we have today. So think how many times you use your smartphone. Think of all that sort of stuff. So just wrap your head around that. That's just a huge, huge change that's coming to the world that's going to affect us, and it's going to happen 
totally transparently. You won't even notice you're doing it, but you open the fridge. It's going to be reported that you open your fridge 40 times a day. What's going on? Do you need more power? Do you need more milk? And the fridge will actually do that for you. So we have to end it here. I think uh, I've run out of time evangelizing the power of data. And it was just fascinating to be in a place where so many people were so focused on so many diverse solutions using the operating system for data, which is Splunk. And we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Interesting products, and as I said, really been doing well sales-wise, available right now pretty much everywhere. But the other and probably far more interesting launch was the new Samsung Galaxy Fold. Now, that particular device has had a really interesting history, a little bit crazy. Um, I think, once again, people got really hung up on the hardware, released it perhaps a touch prematurely, but it was announced in February at World Mobile Congress, um, and it, sh- it highlighted two technologies that had never been see- seen in mobile devices before. A flexible OLED screen um, in, a, in a foldable format in a smartphone. Absolutely never done before. It was sort of the communicator from Star Trek. It was super futuristic, and it was significantly flawed. Within two minutes of them giving it to a couple of reviewers, they had broken them. They thought there was a film on the screen. They tried to peel it off. They broke it. Dirt got under the screen, the folding screen. It broke it. There were just all sorts of little problems. So Samsung decided to delay the launch of the Galaxy Fold, re-engineer the device, um, to make it a lot more reliable, and they launched it uh, a couple of days ago, well, a week or so ago, in South Africa and globally, um, finally in its new format. And I can tell you they've done a really good job. All the little gaps where potentially dirt or, or, or debris could get in have been closed up. They've inserted a metal, a flexible metal uh, film below the flexible screen uh, and tightened up the production quite significantly. And without question, the Galaxy Fold is a completely new, innovative category. And in this world of candy bar phones where you put 10 phones down on a desk, they all look pretty much identical, black front until they go on, silver, green, blue, shiny back, and they taller, then they wider, thinner, thicker, rounder, squarer, but they all look the same. It's just different. The Galaxy Fold simply looks like two of those stacked on top of each other with a really cool little hinge in between. But when you open the Galaxy Fold, and and there have been a couple of other manufacturers have come out with phones that are foldable, but this is the first one to actually hit the market physically, um, and it's available. Inside is a 7.3-inch flexible OLED plastic screen, which when you open it and have a look at it, is absolutely astonishing. Essentially, it becomes a full tablet, and the way that they've modified the operating system, whatever was on the outside smaller screen um, pops into the big screen seamlessly. It's really it's so futuristic. It is so, so cool. There are a couple of real um, uh, challenges. We'll get to them now. But from a hardware perspective, Samsung have done an extremely good job. It's 
in the same quality build quality of the S10 and Note 10 range. The hardware is pretty much the same as the S10 and Note 10. Similar processors, same camera quality. Though there are tons of cameras on this device. On the front, there's a, a really good front selfie camera. On the inside, there are dual cameras. And on the rear, or the front, depends which way you go it, there, there are the three cam- cameras like you see on, on the new cam- the new Samsung Galaxy Note uh, 10. So the camera quality is certainly out there. The battery is massive, so it lasts a long time despite the fact that the screen is so huge. But the star really is the 7.3-inch OLED on the inside. It's extremely responsive. Samsung say they've tested this really clever hinge and the ability of the screen to successively open and close and fold over 200,000 times with no failure rates, no problems in that regard. Even so, I must tell you, my, my short experience with this device over the last little while, it's it, it it feels super futuristic, but it does have a slight fragility in its feeling. You, you you tend to think, should I close it and open it all the time? It is a Gen 1 device, and there is a slight amount of fragility built in. But essentially, it is an absolutely insane, easy-to-use, truly innovative device that is going to sell for 44,000 rand, so <laughs> in highly limited amounts. So it's not something that's mainstream. It's not something it is selling for 44,000 rand, though would you believe the entire allocation, first allocation is sold out, gone. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who just want to have the, the latest and the greatest and the most innovative and the best. And um, so they've done extremely well considering the price and the fact that this is a first-generation device. However, in the context of that, it is an extremely polished um, device. It is extremely good at what it does, and it is really a, a first look at flexible displays, having a large display for email, for spreadsheets, for Word documents, is really an absolute wonder. So keep an eye out. I expect to see a lot more foldable, flexible phones, phones with smaller screens on the inside or outside, bigger screens when you open them up, coming. And this is just a really first shot at it. And Samsung, I think, have been super brave to come back as they did. Super brave to actually spend the amount of money they have in creating this device. And they've done, I think, an absolutely fantastic job. It's got, got everything that you want from a smartphone as well as a massive screen, which makes it a bit of a portable tablet. And we have to have a quick break before I talk about the uh, iPhone uh, 11 range. And I'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back, and uh, I just want to update you on the iPhone 11. Launched 27th of October. Where are we? I'm totally lost. September. It's now October, soon to be November. And it has done extremely well globally, and there have been some significant changes. And I'm getting a l- I've been using both the iPhone um, 11, 11 Pro, and the Pro Max, in the family for the last couple of weeks. And I must say I am extremely, extremely impressed with what Apple have done in two areas. The first one being the camera. In many ways, I believe that the Androids, the Huawei's, the Samsung's, and not available in this country, but the Google Pixels had done things in the camera space that really were, were knocking 
the quality out the park. And most of that was based partially on the lens quality, the number of megapixels, all that stuff that you read about. But the big important thing was the fact that the amount of smart stuff going on in software. So Google were using night mode and zoom in software that was incredibly good based on sheer computing power. Um, Huawei were doing a combination of smart lenses with Leica and um, some really smart software work. And Apple, I think, with the iPhone um, XS range, had fallen behind. They had dual cameras. They were very good, but they weren't anywhere close to what was available in the Android space. Well, with the iPhone 11 range, from the iPhone 11 all the way through to the 11 Pros, with the triple cameras on the rear, Apple have essentially, I believe, leapfrogged the the competition and are as good as, if not better than, most um, mobile phone cameras on the market right now. And people have asked me, should we upgrade? The simple question is, if you've got an iPhone 10, 7, 8, 9, 10, or 10S, and you're happy, the upgrade from a hardware point of view, in other words, the quality of the speed, the operating system that your phone r- runs, and everything may not push you to upgrade. But if a photography or the ability to have the best camera on the market currently is important to you, the iPhone 11 and 11 Pro range are an absolute winner. The camera quality in low light, at night mode, in bright light, um, and I won't go into the technology that's built in there, is pretty much outstanding. The cameras are incredible for travel, for happy snapping at home, just an unbelievable experience, easy to use, everything's automatic, you don't have to think about it, you just take a picture and it pops out incredibly well, pretty much 99% of the time. So if you're looking for an upgrade, I cannot begin to recommend the quality of the iPhone camera. The screens have also improved, the, the speed of the process has improved, iOS 13 a lot of controversy is great, but the big change was simply the f- the ability of the new iPhone range to give you a camera experience, both video and fixed, that is pretty much insane. So check it out. You can see them all over the show um, and uh, have a little feel. I think you'll be pretty much impressed with the quality of the camera. The quality of the overall experience is still pretty much Apple, as good as it gets, and if you had any doubt about the camera quality compared to the Huawei's, the Samsung's, and the other Androids out there, well, I think Apple have firmly answered that. So let's just wait and see what happens going forward. Now, before we end the session, um, I just have to talk about a system, a product that I've been using, and I'm being told I've got to wrap up. But if you have an iPhone 11 or 10s. You can use something that is known as an eSIM. And when I traveled recently, and for all of those guys out there who have those phones and are going to be traveling in Europe or America or the East, wherever, over the holiday period, No Roaming have launched a new system based on an eSIM. So all you need to do is go to eSIM, E-S-I-M, dot knowroaming.com, and you will find a whole range of really simple easy-to-use products that you can load on your phone as a secondary SIM because all those phones I mentioned, all those new iPhones can do um, dual SIM. You simply scan a QR code, and before you go anywhere in the world, you can have an eSIM at very, very good prices. So 
Thanks to them, I was fully connected. It's simple. It's slick. It's easy. You don't have to remove your SIM. And I'm being kicked out of the studio right now. So on that note, thanks for listening. Uh, I'll be back next week. Some more gadgets, gizmos, and, and whatnot. Um, this is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk right here on High FM.